When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, welcome back to Garibaldi Reds, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Do hope you're well. Remember we're across Spotify, YouTube and Apple Podcasts for all your Forest related content. Today I am absolutely delighted to welcome to the podcast Mark Warburton, former Forest Rangers and more recently QPR manager as well as a spell recently at West Ham to the podcast. Mark, great to catch up. Thanks for joining us on Garibaldi Red and, and a happy new year to you. How was your Christmas and, and the new year break? Yeah, Max, thank you for the invitation. Nice to be on here. It was a good thank you. First time for decades that I've been working over Christmas, so quite a bizarre, strange feeling if I'm honest. I won't tell the, the family that, but um, yeah, it was very, very strange not working around Christmas, but uh, nice to to enjoy a break and uh, as I say it's um, it's always good to chat about the game. Yes definitely and um, I suppose Mark kind of first of all what have you been up to recently and um, we kind of touched on actually just before we came and and recorded this about your uh, last stint working with David Moyes at West Ham as assistant coach kind of what have you been up to since then and and, and just keeping uh, keeping well in general really? No it's a, it's a good question actually Max I mean I had a choice you know I was a start a couple of championship offers um, and I had West Ham, and David and I have, have vacationed at the same resort purely by chance for many years with the kids. We played golf, etc., together, and, and David asked I'd be interested in going as, as his number two at West Ham. And as I said to you before the, the recording, Max, I hadn't actually experienced the finances of the Premier League, the setups, um, the structure of a Premier League club, European football, etc., so I was keen to explore that. Thoroughly enjoyable year. Great working with some world-class players, the likes of Declan Rice and Lucas Pacatao, just you know, Jared Bowen, a top, top class players, and many others as well. So that was that was a great part of the learning curve. Um, but I think the the, the downside in the, the season, Max, I mean, one of the, the European trophies, which is a great climax to any season. Um, I've got a very attacking style of play. David's more defensive. I think we were clashing, and just for the sake of our friendship, which is all important, I wanted to part ways. And David, no, you're very, very amicable. We, we retain, remain good friends. Um, the downside is people thought I was walking straight into another job. Why would you leave after a European trophy? So, from my point of view, I like working, Max. Um, I'm very open minded. I went to the States and traveled, looking at MLS options, which again, very hard to break into. Um, and the market over here has certainly gone younger, being brutally honest. So you have to look, you have to choose wisely. You can't rush into anything and give yourself no chance of success. So um, I'm very, very keen to continue working. I enjoy it very much. I think I can add value. I think my CV is strong. But again, it's an opportunity, Max. There's many good people not working. So you have to respect that. You have to be patient and you have to bide your time. So hopefully um, the right opportunity comes along soon. Do you want to return to the game, Mark? Is that is that something that if the right offer came up, kind of this week, next week, you'd be um you'd be jumping at it? Yeah, I've got to be honest, Max. I'm not precious and take this the right way. I love managing. You know, I've been very fortunate when you manage. You know, the clubs as high as Forest and, and Rangers, of course, Brentford, QPR, working at West Ham in such a capacity. You've been very privileged to be in those positions. Really privileged. There's no other word for it, Max. Um, but I've been a technical director. I've been an academy director. I've had a city background for 20 odd years. Very fortunate and privileged again to be in some very senior positions at some of the biggest institutions, the likes of AIG and RBS and Bank of America, etc. So I've been very, very lucky. Um, so I'd, I'd like a I like a position, Max, where you're challenged, where you you can add value in terms of what you bring to the organisation, uh, and, and I like variety as well. So. Whether that's working on a board somewhere, technical capacity, consultancy capacity, whether it's a manager, whether it's a coach, whatever it may be, I'm, I'm open-minded not to make yourself in a weaker position because some will say to you, Max, that makes you jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Not at all, but I'm not 40 years old. I'm older than that, so therefore you have experiences that you hope you can bring value to uh, an organisation, a club, a business, etc. So, yeah, very keen to work. Max, answer your question, and, and hopefully this year will bring the right opportunity. 
Yeah, you talk about there as well, Mark, you, you, you kind of wealth of experience in the game. Kind of wanted to, to, to touch on the start, really, for you and, and, and where the love of football came from. Of course, you played at football for a, for a short while before moving into management and, and you mentioned there kind of technical directing as well. Where did the love start of, of football? I was very lucky, Max. I was one of those kids who was good at sport. Um, all sports I could run. I had a choice at 16 to be a, to go running full time on, on, on you know or, or football. I loved all sports: tennis, basketball, cricket. You name it. I just love sports. Was very fortunate. I was good at numbers. I'm really good with numbers, Max. Good at English and good at sport. I was useless at any many other things at school. But you know, I went to a, would you believe I went to a grammar school which thrived or excelled in music. I was the only person in the school that couldn't read a note of music. But, uh, you know, so the teacher would push me out in the playground to be hitting a tennis ball or football against the wall. So love, love sport, love football. As I say, I went to be a young apprentice at Leicester City for a couple of years um, and that really shaped it. I loved, as I say, every sport. Uh, Leicester was a different lesson. The, the, the bizarre nature of football, Jock Wallace was a manager, Max. Jock was a legend, is a legend at Rangers. And many, many years later, there I am sitting in the office at the magnificent Ibrox Stadium with pictures of Jock Wallace. And you couldn't believe how that circle has gone gone the full way. So um, Jock was a very successful, hugely successful manager, revered in Glasgow, quite rightly. And yet his style was something I'd never, ever come across. But an ex-Marine, very army-based, you know, rigid discipline and... And I'd come through an environment, you know, loving family and a different type of football upbringing, a sport upbringing. So I found it difficult. No, and, and as I say, it really killed my, I'm not saying love of the game, but it really hurt my love of the game. I then went into non, into semi-pro, played a good team, went for the FA Trophy and the Conference League. It was a good team. I enjoyed that. Um, but then the City career started, Max. And what, you know, without digressing into that area, that be, that's a highly competitive environment big rewards if you do well ruthless if you don't do well teamwork is vital communication it's a dressing room you know i had a desk of desk of 12 15 guys or you're learning it's a dressing room hence months later on 20 years later on max the move into football was so easy for me because it was just like going to work in the city so that was um you know so that was my love of the game i was playing i, I worked around the world lived in charlotte with carolina lived in chicago asia tokyo singapore hong kong new york very very lucky wherever i worked max because you have a british accent they presume you can you know football literally you know i'm coaching so in charlotte in 85 i'm coaching a, a young girls team i'm coaching a young boys team i'm coaching a high school team i'm doing the college i'm doing a bank team i'm doing a local restaurant team i'm just coaching because it was great to do. I was single and loved it. So wherever I worked, Max, I coached, oblivious to the fact that you needed qualifications. As as naive and ignorant as that may sound, I just didn't know. And then I realized when I got back and, and very quickly took my level one, and level two, got on a B license, was lucky, lucky I had a, a mentor who said I could I should move on quickly. And I found myself I found myself in 2003, I think it was, 2004, Max, on an A-license course with the likes of Ray Wilkins, Dean Saunders, Clayton Blackmore, you know, Chris Coleman, Adrian Heath, these type of people. And I was chief dealer at, at like a, a bank in the city. And, and I'm sitting there going, what is going on? These are household soccer names. And there's me. But that's when I really, the, the blue touch paper, so to speak, was lit. And that's when I knew what I wanted to do. Coincided with my son, who was a talented young footballer, wanted to be a, a pro and, and loved the game himself. But at eight, nine years of age, few academies wanted him. And I suddenly find myself being asked to come and coach an academy team. And and that was it. I was I was really keen to to move into that area. Certainly quite an interesting move as as as, as well, Mark. Um wanted to touch on your on your time at, at, at Forest. Um nine months in charge, took over the club when we were 19th, looming towards the bottom three. I'm sure you can remember it yes, very yeah. well. How did that move come about? Because I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was hard to turn Forrest down because of the size of the club, despite where we were in the league and the and the obviously situation surrounding us with the possible relegation to League One. Yeah, it was it was really difficult for so many reasons, Max. Some of which you probably don't know. In terms of what happened at Rangers, happened at Rangers, you know, and and they announced we'd resign. David Weir, myself, would never. That would never ever happen. We would never. Uh, and no disrespect to any club, but Rangers is, is a huge institution. It really is. Until you go up to Glasgow, Max, and realise the size of Rangers and Celtic, no one understands it. Um, so you'd never, ever resign. So we had this black cloud that we had apparently resigned. Absolute nonsense. 
um, going on. But less than two weeks later, I'm approached by Forrest. Now, everyone asks the question, was it Mr. Forrest? I've never, ever met Mr. Forrest in my life. It was Mr. Maranakis in the period just as he was taking over Forrest, but had, I don't think he'd actually signed the paperwork, but it was that grey area in between that. So I saw Mr. Maranakis and his staff uh, very briefly, and he offered me the job. Now, this is, you know, someone would tell you your CV is really strong. You're going to get other offers. This is Nottingham Forest. You know, European champions in the past, twice incredible history, strong fan base, fantastic stadium and atmosphere. So how often do you get, you know, you can't afford to turn down jobs of this stature and this quality. So the timing wasn't great. You know, the ownership was coming in. It was all new. So much uncertainty. But I don't think you could ever turn, say no to a club of Nottingham Forest stature. Yeah, and, and you mentioned there about having those initial conversations with with Maranakis and his and, and and his team. Were you shocked that when you first got the call that it that it wasn't Fawaz on the on on the phone because he was still the name above above the door, albeit that Maranakis was coming in? Yeah, I think I, I, I've, I've many regrets that I'll come to. I'm sure you'll come to in a minute in the forest for different reasons. Um, but I, that, I was literally caught in this vacuum between Mr. Fawaz and Mr. Maranakis. And obviously what's happened to the club since and the investment for Mr. Maranakis and Yanis and et cetera, you know, good people and what they're doing for the club and their desires for the club. But I was literally caught in that vacuum. And I, I don't think the supporters knew. And in truth, I was unsure what was, you know, my agent was one minute, Mr. Fawaz speaking. I never met him, as I say, never, ever met Mr. Fawaz. Um, so I was caught a little bit in that vacuum, Max, and it was, a, it was a, I'm saying difficult, not difficult in a bad way, it was difficult in an, a, we can understand, an understandable way in that who are you really reporting to? There's so much going on at the club in terms of staff turnover, different staff coming in, staff leaving. I'd met one person, shook their hands, and they'd gone the following day, and I had no idea what was going on. So it was a little bit of upheaval, but that's understandable. Someone's purchasing the club, it's a takeover. So, so you, you, you come to expect that and appreciate the the difficulties for all concerned. But as a manager, coach, myself, Davey, Frank McParlin, we were really caught in the middle of all of that, Jim Stewart as well, of course. Just going back to your kind of first day through the the, the door at the city ground, what was that like, Mark? You, you you enter it where where the club off the pitch is in a really turbulent time and then you're facing the media as a as a new manager and, and someone that, that the fans are, are turning to in a way to, to turn us round and to get us out of the relegation zone. It was purely that. It was avoid relegation, Max. That was the target, was to avoid relegation, quite understandably, what it means, the implications of going down to a club, especially when you just bought the club. So for Mr. Maranakis and, and his and the board, understood the implications very you know, crystal clear. What had to be done, it was just survival. Um, my first day in terms of that, what amazed me was, I think we had 36 players, something like that. I remember walking in and at the training ground, you have the pitches at the as you're driving, the pitches to the left of the first team, and they had the 23s and the pitches at the back of my of the office, so to speak. And I think I was told there was 11 lone players. I remember being told there's 11 lone players over there, foreign boys, on serious money, on serious money. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm comparing it to Rangers, Glasgow Rangers, and I'm comparing it to Brentford, bearing in mind we'd finished fifth in the championship in the playoffs. And I was the wages were like, wow. You know, there are people here, nowhere near the first team. But when you have that many players, Max, the immediate problem in that first one, two, three days was, well, hang on a second. You get, say you're going to an away game and you're driving on the coach on a Friday afternoon and you might have 20 players on that coach. You've got, you've got 15, 16 boys not even on the coach, let alone not in the team. They weren't even on the coach, Max. So it was a case of very, very quickly looking at who wanted to be there we lost one or two players to injury and mental health issues and whatever else very, very quickly. So it, it was a, um, a very unusual, very um, confusing atmosphere to walk into in those first few days. Have no doubt about that, Max. And you go into the press and you say all the right things. So you have to because the, the supporters quite rightly want to hear that their club's going to be OK and we've got a chance to survive and everything else. But very quickly for me, it became apparent Two things. One, the role of the likes of of Chris Cohen, um, David Vaughan, you know, Matt Mills, Jack Hobbs, Michael Mann, the senior pros and Eric Lehigh, the senior pros and the squad. And secondly, the impact of the young guys, the Ben Brereton's, the the Ben Osborne's, the Jordans in goal, the the Matty Cashes, these type of guys are really young guys who who would have such an important Joe Worrell, 
Joe Wall just wanted to play for the first team. You'll see, if you look back how many times I've played Joe, we played away at QPR jumping forward and Joe made the mistake that cost us the game. We played really well at QPR and Joe made a bad mistake on the halfway line and we, we lose the game. Um, but he had such a great attitude. And you look at the last game, who I played, who was around the team, how young we went. The save Jordan made at nil-nil you know, was, was magnificent. If you remember, he tipped it onto the crossbar and over. So what I saw was, yes, the experience of the senior pros, Chris Cohen in particular, um, and then the exuberance and the desire of the young players. So we had to almost, not saying just move aside, but we had to recognise who was going to help save the club and who we had to really push to one side. When you walk through the door and you see a group of players that are sat near the bottom of the table, did you see passion and, and fight amongst the senior players and, and even the young players and the staff as well? What was the situation like that they knew that, that, that Fowers was, was on his way out and that Mr Maranakis was coming in, but it must have just been so so difficult and turbulent for, for you as a, as, a, as a new face in the club to come in and, and almost try and get the squad working together as well? Yeah, very much so, Max, because I was very fortunate. You know, Brentford is superbly run, is to this day. But I, when I went to Brentford in 2011, um, they were 18th in League One. So you've seen an owner come in. At the, so Matthew Brennan comes in to buy Brentford as Mr. Maranakis came in to buy Forest. And you saw an owner put a structure in place, staff. I mean, five or six of the staff we hired are still there now, Brentford, in the Premier League. This is now, what's it, 12 years ago. So, you know, structure, foundations in place, good reporting lines, clear lines of communication, clear lines of clear roles and responsibilities. So I've seen a really good structure being run. And then I walked in and, and the confusion that I spoke to you about, there were staff who didn't want to be there, staff who'd been there too long, some really good staff. Yeah, and the Balderson, Andrew, the head of medical outstanding and some really good people, kit staff, Amy, the PA outstanding, some really good people. But you've got people leaving um you've got the new owners coming in you've got their staff coming in so the players are obviously confident slow because they are where they are in the league a new manager comes in which is always a time of uncertainty because what does it mean for me as a player you know does he know who i am does he know what i've done or is he going to just cast me aside is he going to go and recruit players what's going to happen so i think there's so much uncertainty so some really good pros there as i say if i've missed any of them out I've, there's no intention to to miss anyone out but the likes of Chris, the likes of David, these guys, Michael Menton, who I knew from Chelsea and looking you know, at being at Hamburg U European finals. But these guys were in a tough position. And, and it was the young guys who showed that fearlessness because they'd never really been there. They probably didn't know the implications, Max, as you know, not being them not not them being naive or ignorant. They're just young. They're just fearless. So Joe Wall, Jordan, Ben Osborne, Matty Cash, Ben Brereton, these guys, they didn't, they didn't care. They just wanted to play football for Forest. So, you know, you can see that there's a lot, there was a lot of confusion, a lot of uncertainty. And our job was to try and bring the order and clear goals that we wanted to achieve. The obvious goal was to make sure not the Forest stayed in the championship. That was the key, key, key goal. And then after that, we could start to build for next season. Yeah. And and you mentioned there as well the whole kind of young players and and and, and... Uh, certain players are, are, around the squad. You brought in Frank McParland, David Weir, two people you've worked with throughout your career. How difficult was that to kind of bring those in and, and say, look, this is a really turbulent time, but we're here to steady the ship. And also as well, from someone that, Mark, you obviously had no involvement with with Fawaz, in terms of recruitment, did did did, did Frank handle that as, as the traditional head of recruitment or was that something that Marinakis' team were more involved with day to day? No, I, I remember reading something derogatory about Frank, Max. And let me tell you, there's not many better in this country, in Europe, with an eye for a player. Frank should be working at the top end of the Premier League. He obviously was at Liverpool for many, many years with, with Rafa and Kenny and, and, and being there at the, the top, top end. But you've got a person there with a huge amount of expertise, a huge array of contacts, um, and he knows a good player. He knows a good player. And I read something about you know, quite derogatory, which was so wrong. In Davy Weir, you've got a player with outstanding pedigree as a player. Don't forget, at 41, David is captaining Rangers in the UEFA Cup final against Seville. So you're talking about top, top people. Jim Stewart, you know, Rangers goalkeeper, Scottish 
Scottish international and then obviously a top, top coach. So some really good people came to the club and their calm and influence, their knowledge, their experience was, was obviously obviously vital in, in, in all of this. To, you had to make sure that was, that, was, that was done right. But as I say, in terms of recruitment, I remember being told, I think, I forget our start date now, Max, was it March or... Yeah, it was March. It was it March. was it was just before Forest played Derby. Actually, That's it was, right. it was about two game. days before. Yeah, Gary Rowett and um, and Gary and I had a piece on TV with Mark Clement. I remember that, but I, I think it was it was March. So obviously, we looked at it, and I remember them telling me that in the window they had come back from a game. I think I'm right in saying Zach Clough, uh, Ross McCormack, and two other players were sitting in reception, signed. No one knew they were going to be there. No one had a clue. So I don't know how the deals were done. I don't know who did the deals, but I remember the head of medical saying to me, "We we never did a we never did any medicals on these guys." So, you know, there's a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on that people were unaware of, and I'm not allocating blame there. I just don't know what happened. So it's not allocating blame. It's not being rude or derogatory to any one individual. But there you've got players. I mean, Ross McCormack came on in a sizable way. He's coming from Villa, and never really played for Forest Ross. Um, Zach Clough came in, a young talent, really talented boy. And I sort of knew him from Bolton, but and two other players, I forget now who they were at the time, but they never they never played for Forest, the other two guys. And and that type of uncertainty, I'm not saying mayhem, but that type of situation causes confusion and people question their their responsibilities. You know, should the medical have done it? Should the recruitment done it? It was nothing to do with Frank. We weren't we weren't even at the club at the time. Max, but um, as I say, I read some things. I just I wanted clarity, and I I always felt, and I'll come to. I'm sure you ask questions, but one of my regrets is I always felt that the Forest fans never got the full story while we were there of what was really going on. There was so much uncertainty, but the one goal we had to achieve was to survive in a division. That was almost like driven in every single day because, and if we can feel that, and our job is to protect the players and staff, of course they can feel it. They're not stupid. So we had to make sure we did to do our best to create the environment, Max, which allowed us to achieve that that one solitary goal. How on earth do you deal with the uncertainty when you walk in and there's a player sat there that you know hasn't been signed by your team and you're questioning how he's arrived into the club? And and those initial conversations with the likes of Zach Clough and Ross McCormack must have been really difficult because ultimately, Mark, they weren't your players. No, they weren't. And as I say, they're very talented boys. You know, don't forget. I remember Brentford, we played Fulham, had a great result beating Fulham at the, at the cottage. But Ross McCormack scored the goal and was a, is a really good, high-quality player. But, you know, Ross was one of many players who got injured. I don't think he played hardly a minute, did he? I think he came on maybe as a sub once and that was it. The two other guys, I, I had I had loan players coming up to me saying that they wanted to go home, they wanted to get out. and I didn't even know who they were. So you, you, you're going through a squad of players and, and many foreign boys who were, you know, they were training over the 23, so they're disheartened, discouraged, you know, didn't really want to be there, obviously in a strange country, strange city. Um, so these are all the factors, and, and and the fans probably didn't know what was going on, and then you had, why don't we play him, and why don't we try him? You just can't throw someone in there. You had to put people in there, Max, who who wanted to play for Forest, who really, to use that old cliche, heart on the sleeve, but the likes of Joe Wall, Ben Osborne, Matty Cash, these boys, they do. I can't speak highly enough of these characters. They were superb. Delight to see Ben and Matty go on and, and Joe, obviously, all these boys, Ben Brereton, you know, doing so well for Blackburn, Blackburn and then get his move. And and Jordan was there. I don't know if Jordan's still at Forest. I'm not sure if he's left yet, but was he's there. Left, for long. Yeah, no, he's, yeah, he's, he's there for many he's years. A loyal servant and a really good guy as well. So, you know, and then when you allied that to the senior boys earlier, there's some good people, but you had to, we had to very, very quickly focus on the key guys, Max, who are going to look after the club and, and hopefully keep the club in division. Do you feel like owners and, and recruitment teams and other people, rather than the coaching staff, have way too much in, in involvement now from your experience in, in your own eyes? Do you feel like it's it's too much interference? Would you rather kind of get on with it with the coaching staff, the professionals in a way? I think we've got to, be, we've got to look at this. This is a discussion in its own right, Max, because you look at different models, you know. So, for example... We can look at a British model and the old, but you go back 10, 15, 20 years, the manager ran the roost and did everything. And then the technical directors and sport and directors turn up, etc. And, uh, and then you have European sport and directors who have a certain way. Then you have the, the overseas owners who come into the clubs and want to do things certain ways. You know, I was, I, I remember having a, Yanis won't mind me saying, Yanis couldn't understand. I'm an early bird from the city days. I've always got in at six in the morning because I did every club I go to. 
it's you get an hour and a half maybe before the staff come in and your people start knocking on your door. So that's the hour and a half, hour and three quarters max when you can get your emails done, get the session planned, look to the, the, for the day before the staff come in, and it's that bit of peace and quiet. You know, Yannis has said to me, no, there's no need. Get in at nine, have breakfast, coach the boys, have lunch and go. Now, what that said in, uh, it wasn't me asking me to be lazy, and he was nothing negative for Yannis. I have a lot of respect for him. What he was saying was, we'll do the rest. The European model is we'll do the rest. We'll recruit the players. We'll do all the rest of the stuff, and then we'll give them to you. And uh, without being critical, I think, and I'm saying this very honestly, I think for you'd agree that Forest had a lot of players come in, you know, and that is a model that works for them in the, you know, in their environment. And if you look at overseas and German tech directors and Spanish tech directors will come in and they often bring their own staff and their own managers, etc. And you see that by the percentage of, of British coaches left in the leagues, Premier League, Championship, even League One now. So in answer to your I'm not avoiding your question. Yes, I think it comes down to a technical panel now. Yes, I think it's the owner, if he's, if he's heavily involved, if some aren't, some aren't. <coughs> um, the technical director, the manager, you know, the first team assistant manager or assistant coach, whatever you want to call it. Maybe there should be a panel made up in my mind that goes through all of these aspects. And that works also, include the academy director um, and his staff. It works out for the pathway of young players coming through. So when you've got a young talent, a Brennan Johnson coming through, or well, go back over the years, when you have these boys coming through, making sure their pathway is clear and there's no glass ceilings hindering their progress. So, you know, for me, yes, I think you're, you're seeing coaches and managers start to lose control. But then you can look at it and say, well, who writes the checks? You know, the owners, and, and they, they write big checks now. And, you know, especially in the Premier League, you look at the players at Forest are signing now and the wages and go back 10 years and you go, wow, you know, we really have, as a club, moved up here in the world. So all, all credit to Mr. Maranakis and staff there. But as I say, when they're writing the checks, Max, is it, have we really got a case to argue? I'm not sure we have anymore. Touching on Yanis Rentros there and, and Marinakis, Yanis was the CEO, ran the football club day-to-day -day for Marinakis. During that time of at, at Forest, what was he like to work under, Mark? Because when uh, Ita Karanka, um, the replacement actually, after you left the club, Mark, came in, he then left uh, about 12 months later, resigned because of his really turbulent relationship with Yanis. Were your, were your experiences always very pleasant with with um, with Yanis and, and the Marinakis ownership? Yeah, firstly, I like Yanis. You know, I really do. I've got respect for him. Um, very emotional character. You know, I, I was amazed. At what, what, again, coming from Olympiakos uh, and having been privileged to go to a, a couple of games in Greece and seeing the, 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 the very turbulent crowd scenes and, and how they react to a win or to a defeat, um that's that's totally alien to us max you know we always spoke frank mcparland had a great saying from his liverpool days never too high never too low you know you never get too high after win you never get too low after defeat because the next game is is three days away or four days away so you've got to make sure that you keep that balance right but what i what i saw and yanis won't i'm sure he won't mind me saying this um yanis is far more emotional you know so i, I remember we lost the game and I couldn't get hold of Yanis. It's almost like a period of mourning for two days. It really was, you know. And it, when we won, he was so you know, emotional and dancing around and hugs. And and you realise it's not a criticism. It, it's an observation that their way is very, very different to our way. Not saying one's right, wrong, whatever. I'm just saying it's a different cultures. So I had a good relationship with him. Um, I, he's a very intelligent man, um, very knowledgeable man. Um, you know, but they do, they conduct their business in a certain way. And as I say, that's where we have got to be more receptive, Max. You can turn around and say, yeah, but you're in the UK now. You're in England now. Yeah, fair point. You are. So you have to respect that and, and understand that and appreciate that side of things. But at the same time, they're, they're coming with different ideas of business practice and behavior, et cetera. And, and you've got to understand that as well. And you hope very much that becomes a, a tight marriage. It takes time. So, yes, a lot of respect, a lot of frustrations. Uh, really were frustrations with the emotions. But as I say, my, my lasting memory of, of Yanis is one of respect and, and uh, I hope very much he's still a friend. Let's turn our attention, Mark, if I can, to survival. Sunday, that game against Ipswich, Forest win 3-1 to secure survival. The wonder strike from Chris Cohen, the save from, from Jordan Smith to tip it over the bar, as you mention it. I remember it as a young lad and the 
nerves, the the emotion throughout the city that day. How on earth do you deal with that as a as a manager facing the media, speaking to the players, and just conducting yourself around the football club leading up to that game? Because you really must have felt the weight of not only the football club but the city as well. Very much so, and and the the frustration was there, Max, in that I didn't I didn't think we should have been in that position by then. I thought we'd play some decent football, and I'd say QPR way is a prime example, and not got the result. One point here or one point there, and, it's, and we were safe and gone. And, and it's over. That that's by the by. You're in you're in the situation now where you've got a better result, and then I've, of course the implication. I think Blackburn were playing um, Brentford, weren't they? Yes. Yep. So of course, my old club. I'm getting all the phone calls, and and then were they two 0 down Brentford in, in whatever time at all? And of course, all this is going on. But from us in David Weir, who's now the director of Brighton, you've got an outstanding character, who, as I said earlier, been there and done it. Likewise in Frank, likewise in Jim Stewart. I've I've worked for since the age of 18, 19, really, Max, in pressurized environments, you know, in the city every single day, in terms of the billions of dollars going through every day. And you're just used to pressure. You're used to it. And I, I, I thrive on it. I enjoy it. I miss it when it's not there. So you've got to you've got to portray an image of relishing the pressure. Pressure's a privilege, as they as they say now. And and you've got to make sure the players recognize it. I saw on that day a couple of senior pros, one being physically sick, the nerves, because he knew the responsibility he and, and the team had in terms of the club and the city. You know, and I and that was a very senior guy. But the nerves were such that it was such it, it's a huge responsibility, Max. So you can do all the talking, you can get everyone reassured, you can just, you know, phone them night before, you know, little chats, all the stuff you do to make sure that come come the, the kickoff. They're in the right place. But there's you can't ignore the fact that was just a huge game for so many people. What did you tell the players beforehand, Mark? You stood in the dressing room. What what's the team talk like before such a, a big game? Is it more focused on the game plan and forget what's the noise surrounding it? Or was it embrace the challenge and and really put the pressure on them? I'm a big believer in in focusing on us, Max. Always have been, always will be. Of course, you respect the opposition. Of course, you prepare tactically for the opposition, but the focus is on us. If it's 100% of a week, then it's 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 80% on us and 20% on the opposition. And we, of course, we know the individual threats, the team threats, their set pieces, all the stuff you know. But the fact is, it's got to be about us. I remember the message being, the last message was to was to have no have no regrets. Do not leave the pitch at that final whistle and have any regrets. Enter the pitch with no doubt. And leave the pitch with no regret, and that, and that was it. And that's I still think that's right. You know, at the end of a trading day, at the end of a working day, whatever business you're in, Max. If someone says to you, Max, go work today. I have no regrets when you come home. I imagine you've had a really good day. I imagine you've given the, been the best you can be for the vast majority of it, and you've given a good performance in whatever industry you're in. And, and that's what we wanted from the boys because we knew we had obviously Brett and, and Lee High, you know, Michael and. And Millsy, et cetera, and you look at Ben, and you look around the team, Chris and David, et cetera, up front, and you knew we had some good players, and you just wanted them to go. And, of course, they were going to feel the pressure, feel the nerves. It just washed down from the terraces. You could, it was an incredible day. But it's a magnificent football stadium, and I think I just want to leave that pitch, Max, with no regrets whatsoever and get the job done. What were the celebrations like after Mark surviving? Was it more of a, a relief than a... Than a celebratory, I, I, I can remember the fans in, invading the pitch, and, and there was quite a nice bit from the commentary team of, of Sky, and and they talked about that this was more of a relief for Forest surviving because of how big the football club was, and it, and it really couldn't afford to go down to League One. Yeah, I think you know, you, there's two schools of thought there, Max, because you look at Blackburn with Tony Mowbray, who went down, and it allowed them to clear the decks and, and to rebuild. So you can look at it and say it could be a positive. But I think in terms of the takeover by Mr. Maranakis and the staff, it would have been disastrous for Forrest to go down. I think there'd been too many negative implications had that been the case. So it was survival for the club. It was a huge relief. Um, Celebration-wise, obviously, with the staff and families and that. But then I had a number of friends come down from Glasgow. Some really good friends. I don't know, they're still tight, tight friends now. But big Rangers fans who came down to support us on the day. We went over to the, I forget the name of the pub, by the cricket ground. There's a, a magnificent Sunday roast. And we went over there, and I think it was much about 15, 20 of us, Max, and we had a few drinks over there. And they missed their flight back up to Glasgow. I remember that. And they got a later flight, and they were the worst for wear. But no, that was that was a celebration. And there was a, there was a real relief. 
it was a real relief. Uh, I was day uh, I had an apartment out by the race course, and we went out for a dinner later that night. You know, it was just a, it was just that sense of wow because it was a huge. There's nothing else. It wasn't can you finish in the top this year. It was just survive was the only task. So, not an arrogant way. It was job done in that respect, but it was just a huge relief, mates. What were the squad like to work with, Mark? You mentioned Joe Worrell, Ryan Yates was there as a youngster at the time, and, and as well as players like Matty Cash. These are players that have gone on to play in the Premier League and be Premier League players. Could you always sense from a from a coaching point of view and from a manager point of view that they might make it really to the top because of, of how they conducted themselves around the football club? Yeah, their attitude was first class. I've been very lucky to work with some really good young players. You know, My background was youth, Max, so I was an academy director at Watford, a technical director, obviously. I set up a tournament um, called the Next Gen Series, which had 24 of the biggest clubs in Europe, the likes of Barcelona and City, PSG, Ajax, etc. So, you know, in terms of young players, you've seen you've been very privileged to see some outstanding, world-class young players. But these guys had, had a fantastic attitude. One regret is that Matty Cash was working like a demon every day, but we had Eric Lehigh who was playing really well and, you know, who could play left back as well. I'm thinking, how'd you leave one out? But there's no doubt Matty's enthusiasm. What a great character. I can't speak high enough about Matty Cash, Ben Osborne, Joe Wall. Joe Wall was a leader. Obviously, he went out to Rangers on loan and, and enjoyed his time at that club, I'm sure. Um, but no, there's a really good... Ben Brereton was slightly younger. You know, was a winger. They want to play centre-forward. So he was sort of... He was a bit younger than the other boys. But to know their attitude was first class, and it was a—it's always a privilege to work with good people, good players, and you have to understand that uh, these guys go to work in front of thousands of people. I've always said that you know I do when you give after dinner speeches or your guests at various businesses and companies, and they say, "Oh, they're paid. Their the pay is ludicrous." You know, I've got dealers, I've got people here who who do this, that, and the other, and they get paid half of that. No, but you don't go to work in front of 30, 40, 50,000 people. You don't go to work and get everything scrutinised on social media. You don't get, you know, hundreds of abusive texts or whatever it may be on on WhatsApp or blah, blah, blah. So, you know, the, you understand what these guys go through, the responsibility, the, the short nature of their career, the risk of injury and all the other worries that come. So it's always a privilege to work with good players. Mate. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed that. And we, we started the season very optimistically. Um, had three clear goals, but as I say, the regret side of it was still it still lingers really, really, um, yeah, it lingers. We say, and it, it hurts right now that the the Forest fans probably never, I never felt the link with the Forest fans that you really wanted to have. the other great link with Brentford, great with Rangers, great with QPR. You know, really good links, and I just felt that I never had it with the Forest fans because there's so much turmoil, uncertainty going on. And understanding what the goals of the club were in that second season, that was the biggest frustration for me. And as I say, I'll never speak ill of anyone, but I, I just felt we were let down in terms of we hit every single KPI given to us, and then he gets out to Christmas, which, mm. as I say, rankles beyond beyond uh, your imagination. Yeah, no, I can imagine. And and when um, the the summer hit mark and and Forest had survived. And Maranakis, the ownership had been completed, and and there was twenty percent as well from um, from another one of Maranakis's kind of co-businessmen. Yeah. What were the conversations like? Did you have conversations with Maranakis where it was going to be, you know, you're 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 still our man, um, or was it very much still dealing with with Yanis, the CEO? And um, what were the conversations really like after? Almost, you'd like to think that the turbulence off the pitch had, had been ended. Yeah, I think the good thing was that you know, Mister Maranakis. Absolute credit to him in terms of supporting the preseason. We had taken Brentford and Rangers to the IMG Centre in Bradenton, in Florida, um, which gave the players a really good break to work. Don't get me wrong, this was a really tough, tough trip. But the important thing on these trips is to, is for the players, I'm not going to digress here, Max, but it's to, to, to take the players' mind of the fact they're working three or four times a day. You know, So they would go to the beach in the morning, for example, and do activation work and do all the, all the pre preparation for the first tough morning session. They came back to breakfast and all they were speaking about was they saw dolphins off the bed. They were working. You know, we would we would have a really hard day where we have three sessions and in the evening they would go and play beach volleyball and get all the group, you know, party of 40, you'd have eight teams of five and you'd have all the four courts and you'd, everyone would play each other and it was great, but the physios loved it because it was great for the ankle bones, great, the sound was great for recovery, etc. But it bonded that everyone together. 
it was another session. It was quite grueling. Then they went for swimming the swimming the beautiful water, went back for dinner, went straight to bed, slept like babies for 10 hours, 11 hours. All of this was carefully thought out, and Mr. Maranaki supported it. So we took the boys over there and we had a really good trip. Um, so all credit to him for doing that. Um, but then the goals, I'll be very honest with you, Max, the goals were set to us as being reduce the size of the squad, which was 30-odd plus, reduce the age of the squad, which was, I think, at the time, 29 and a half, um, and to be mid-table. To be mid-table to allow us to build the following year for push at the playoffs. And I thought they were really fair goals. I really did. There wasn't a lot of money to throw around. You know, you see what we did in terms of Barry Mackay and Jason Cummings, and these were, these were like, you know, I'm saying good good guys, but but relatively cheap imports in terms of the window. But um, they were the goals set for us, and I was quite comfortable with with those goals, Max. You mentioned Barry Mackay and, and Jason Cummins. They were they your signings, your team's signings, or was there more kind of interference and, and involvement from from Marinakis and Yanis? No, we had Mr. Andreas Bukalakis was one, for example. I remember I was on holiday, and, and Yanis called up about Andreas, who is a character I stay in touch with still now. Um, who's a good guy, really nice guy, great character. But this was all new to him. You know, this was really new to him. We had that type of situation, but Barry Mackay was outstanding at Rangers, outstanding at Rangers. And again, the fans saw glimpses of Barry. You know, the QPR, I think it was a 4-0 home victory against QPR. Barry was outstanding. And you saw glimpses. Jason Cummings was a goal scorer. But again, it takes time for these people to settle. Um, and that's the thing. You know, we had. I got, I'm, I'm trying to give examples because it's always good to support a comment match with a with an example of where of what exactly you're, you're you're implying. We took a boy Yotta at Brentford. He came in from Spain. I remember it was August, July, August, and he had he had a snood, gloves, and a hat on at the training ground. It must have been 28 degrees, Max, and he's come out like, what on earth is going on? He could not adjust. He came from Marbella. He was like, what on earth is this? If he dipped below 20 degrees, he had this look of horror on his face. And for the first three or four months, Max, I couldn't, I could hardly use him. Now, we had paid at the time a fee for Brentford was a million, million euros, a 1.25. By, by November, this boy is now starting to show what he could do. And by December, he was absolutely outstanding. But it took that six months. Now, if you judged Hotter on those first four months, you're saying, what on earth have you bought here? Different food, different language, different climate, everything that you and I both know as being, as being easy to understand. Um, likewise for Barry and Jason, they found it hard, I think, to come down. There's no doubt about Barry's, Barry's ability. But he's also, he's also, it won't mind me saying it, he's very comfortable being back home. Goes to Hearts, and he's ripping it up at Hearts and doing so well. So I think, again, wasn't a lot of money, but the goals were clear. And, you know, that's that was a frustration that we hit all of the goals. The average age came down to, I think, in, in the, the, the last couple of games we played, your stats will tell us it was below 23, Max, the age. It's 22 and a half, I believe. The size of the squad was down to 24 from 36. And we were 13th or 12th in the table. So you're saying, well, all the KPIs have been hit. And that's the biggest, that was the biggest frustration for me. Um, and as I say, at the end of the day, I've never criticised an owner, Max, because they write the checks. They write the checks and you can't, it's a big investment for them. Uh, be it Matthew, be it Ranger, whoever it may be, you can, you can talk about your disappointment, but always be respectful because it's the owners that write the checks and keep the club afloat. Yeah, and I suppose with your departure, Mark, before that, um, you know, Kay did did come a bit of criticism from the fans. And, and I wonder as a as a coach, when you get asked questions constantly in the media about tactics and and maybe some criticism from the terraces, you know, how do you deal with that on a on a on a professional level? And I suppose during your time at Forest, did you feel that that criticism was unfair? Because you know, I know the fans didn't know really deep down, but but you and your team knew that the target was mid table from the Marinakis family. And that's, and that's exactly the question, Max. And that's I'm not saying regret because you have to, life is life and you move on and you learn from your experiences. But I I would love to have come out. Can you imagine if I'd have said at the start of the season to the Forest fans, now let's come mid table. If we can come mid-table and start to build from there, I would have got battered. You, you imagine, we're Nottingham yeah. Forest. We're European champions in yeah. you know, semi-niner. What do you mean mid-table? They would have been mortified had their manager come out and made a statement like that. Now, in truth, after where they'd been and a takeover and the turmoil and the staff changes and player changes and huge numbers going out and loan players are left, right and centre, you finish... Mid table, you finish 12th in that division. 
You just outside the top 10. You've bedded in the players like Joe Wall, like Matty Cash, like Ben Osborne, like Ben Brereton, Joyce Etter. You build them. You add one or two in terms of the windows and you're in a good place. You're in a good place. But patience and time is that commodity that's never really afforded. And we hit every KPI. Now, my background, Max, was a city whereby you set a KPI. You know, so if you have to earn X million dollars a year for your bank and you hit the KPI, this is what happens. There's your bonus. This is the thing. This is what you've done. It's all very, very clear. And that's the world I, I was very used to. And then you come into football where logic goes out the window. As I said, the Rangers were sitting there. Rangers, I'm trying to give you again, support with an argument. You get promotion. You win the training cup. You get to the Scottish Cup final, beat Celtic on the way in the semi-final. The goal for the third year is European football. You're second in the table and you get sacked. And you go, how on earth? That's That cannot happen. But it's football. You know, Brentford, had we got promoted, Matthew wanted to form it. He's the owner. We were, we were really good friends. We had lunch over Christmas. But again, I didn't agree with the foreign players coming in in the January window. It's Matthew's club. He writes the checks. I was going, had we had we won promotion to Premier League, I was still gone, Max. And you would say, no, it's football. So here we are at Forest, and you say, again, I'm not used to that. But I'd love the fans to have known. And that's why I said to you, I never felt the connection that I really wanted because the fan base is excellent, magnificent. And the support, and look at Steve, and etc. And I remember, you know, it's a great, it's a fantastic fan base, hungry for success, and so so pleased with them that that success has now come, Max. But at the time, I couldn't go in a press. Can you imagine what your reaction would have been if I said, Max, if we can come mid-table and then look to build for year three? You'd have gone get rid of the coach. You would have screamed from ahead, along with thousands of others. And that's that's the problem with football is you want to you want to send this aggressive, confident, optimistic message to the fan base. But if the reality is not there, if the quality of players are, we couldn't compete with the clubs at the time who were in the top six, top eight. We couldn't compete with them budget wise, quality of player wise. We just couldn't. And you look at teams now when they say to you, you know, we should be in, we should be so and so. Well, hang on a second. Look at the league now: Leeds, Southampton, these huge clubs that are up there, Leicester City, etc. It's going to take some championship club to compete with them. And that, and that's the problem. It's the expectation of fans and they're not being told the full picture. And, and managers have to be very careful, head coaches, what they say, Max. But the truth of it is that's my regret because I think the fans were always a little bit unsure. And in terms of the style of play, we wanted to play. That was made clear in terms of how we're going to play. And what do you do? You say, well, actually, we're, we're mid-table here with a young team playing an interest in a style of play. And they're being brave to go with it. So we're okay. I never expected a sack for one second. Nor did David, nor did Frank. Honestly, Max, you know, sometimes you get a hint there might be a problem here. Not for one second. I'm sitting in the office doing a session for the day and the plans and and bang, you're gone. So, again, you can say that's football. You can say you're better for the experience. But I've got to say it does uh, it does rankle when it happens. And you don't feel it's deserved. Yeah, and, and Mark, you departed, I think it was, I can remember, New Year's Eve, it was after the Sunderland defeats that, yeah. that, that Forrest had had. Were you just sat in your office and then did a call come from, from Maranakis or Yanis? No, no. The chairman walked in, Nick walked in, with Johnny Metcott, I think, at the time. Yep. And um, I have a good relationship with the chairman. Um, he's a QPR he's a QPR fan before the Forest. Yeah. He's a West London fan, so that... That was an obvious one, and Brentford and everything else. But um, very, just got a knock on the door. I was in the training ground early. It was New Year's Eve, whatever it was. I was in the training ground early. We were preparing for the session. And then he walked in and said, uh, unfortunately, there's going to be a, the owners have decided on a change. Bolt out the blue. David Weir was, sits, opposite, sits opposite me. Frank's office next door. I said, David, let me have two minutes for the chairman. Because David, there's no secrets, you know, that he's a top, top individual, as is Frank. So therefore, there were no secrets, but it was right that I had a word with Nick. Mm. Um, very disappointed, more than disappointed for a variety of reasons. And as I say, the the lingering the lingering frustration, Max, is that the, the fans never, I never had that connection that I'd had at all the other clubs and QPR afterwards had a fantastic relationship with the fans was because I think there was so much uncertainty with the takeover, uncertainty with the expectation, what was regarded, what represented success, for example, for Forrest in that season. And you're, you're an avid fan, a loyal fan. And I said to you 12th, as I'm repeat myself, but you would have been, you would have been shocked. You would want to hear we push for playoffs. We weren't in a position to do that, Max. You know, mm. had we come 10th, 12th, which I absolutely believe we would have done, 
then we're in a good position. You hit the KPI. So, as I say, frustration there because I know the club is a fantastic club. The fan base is magnificent and uh, would love to have had the opportunity to to continue the work and, and forge that relationship, which I know I know is so beneficial for everyone. Did you find it difficult to... Often managers in the past at Forest have talked about how hard it is to go into a club with with huge history, Brian Clough, European champions and and the past. Did, 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 did you find that difficult to to work under or do you embrace that as a, as a manager and, and suppose look up to, to the success that Brian Clough had created or was it a new chapter in your opinion when you walked through the door at Forest and thought actually, you know, even though what Brian Clough has, 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 has achieved, I'm here and, and, and I'm here to do a job. You know, I was very clear on this subject, Max, because bear in mind I came from Rangers as my previous club, which is, I cannot speak highly enough of Rangers as a club, and a fantastic history. And we would go to the stadium and you walk down, you know, match day at Ibrox is quite incredible. And you walk down the corridors and the pictures of the great players of the past and the historical nights and John Gregg who would come to the games of privilege to see the mighty John Gregg. And you have all this history, but that's history. And I would say to the players at Rangers, you need to get your pictures on the wall. When I walked in the training ground at first, it was all these old pictures all the way down. And I'm thinking to myself, we need to get our players on the wall here. They need to create the history because with the greatest respect, you can't live off of that. You can't keep living. When I was at Forest, Max, all I heard about was planning for the 40th celebration, 40-year celebration since the European Cup. Yeah. And I, and I said, and I went out in the press, and I was very, very clear, very respectful. Still to this day, what an unbelievable achievement. Not to win it once, but to win it twice. Not enough for us to be champions of Europe. Unbelievable. You cannot, you cannot find enough words of praise for Brian Clough and Peter Taylor and what they achieved. So there's no lack of respect. But it's nearly 40 years ago. We can't keep living off of that. You've just avoided relegation to League One. You can't say, yeah, but we used to be European champions. Irrelevant. Irrelevant. We've got a, we've, you know, we've got a, that's a fantastic part of our history. The statues, the boardroom, mm-hmm. fantastic. But we need to win games now and make our own history now. So I was constantly fine. And the reporter came back and went, Are you disrespecting Mr. Clough? No, I'm not disrespecting Brian Clough. I've just made that really clear. Mm-hmm. You've always had that. You had to be, not saying walk on eggshells, Max. You had to be careful. And, yeah. and I'm pretty good in the media. And I'm saying that not in an arrogant way, but if you can survive in Glasgow, You've got to be good at media. There's no better media learning than going to Glasgow. Trust me, an old firm game up there. Or I remember the the press used to take like three and a half, four hours in Glasgow. And when I came down, the media guy at the foyer said to me, "It's going to be about 15 minutes." Is that all right? I'm thinking 15 minutes after four hours. It was it was a joy. So you know, if you can do the media there, so I was I was very careful, Max. But Mm -hmm. you always felt you walk on eggshells because you never wanted that one line, one poorly reported article. To the fans, there'd be uproar because you know because it's, it's the history of Nottingham Forest. But it's a bright you stand with the Brian Club stand opposite you, fantastic. But we can't keep living off of that because the fans now you've got to have new fans, you've got to have new season ticket holders, next generation of fans. You want the granddads to bring their sons, to bring their grandsons, and all all the stuff that you know, Max. And if you keep living off the past, it's never going to happen. So we were that was another battle that was going on in the background a little bit. And I'm sure other managers after me had the same situation. Yeah, it's very interesting to hear, Mark. I suppose you'd kind of talk about not you wanted longer at Forest, you feel like you were a little bit hard done by given given the challenges set by the ownership. Do you feel like you still had a bit of a part to play really in the in in the club getting promotion? Because so many managers before Steve came in and and obviously finally finally did did the job and and, and delivered what what the fans had wanted for so long. Yeah, I mean, it's, any manager will tell you that. See, I've got, I, I, and I've got, because of my different background, Max, I've got no problem. If Forrest had been 21st mm-hmm. in that following season, struggling, and uh, I fully, in fact, I'd go in there probably off to, to res- resignation because it, it wouldn't have been right. But we weren't there. You know, as you say, we lost to Sunderland. But again, you look at some of the stats. I remember one game we played, we battered them and we just couldn't score. But I knew you could see the signs. And it was coming through and the young players were responding and I was really in a, I didn't I didn't see it coming at all and as I say when you hit the KPIs that's the frustration then when you say to yourself well the fans never knew what the KPIs were and there's the breakdown there's the problem and and again I don't want to repeat myself what I said earlier Matt but it's making sure I think for future managers and coaches is understanding how you get that message across I cite digress but again trying to support in comments 
you could never go into Rangers and say, yeah, but we were second. David Weir said to me, if we played Barcelona now, Rangers fans expect to win. That's that's just that's what they're used to. So you can't say anything to the effect of second is good. Because if you're behind if you're a point behind Celtic, disaster. And as I say, Forest is a big, big club with a big history. And therefore fans don't want to hear negativity. But sometimes honesty is the best policy. And should I have maybe, could I have maybe found the words to say, look, we're building here. We're building here to the fans. If we can get keep building solid. No risk of relegation. Let's come 10th, 11th, 12th. Let's keep building. And the next year, we have a real run at the playoffs and the owner. And I could have maybe put pressure to Manakis. We can go and spend some money in the windows and we can go. That would have been the right message. Would it have been well received? I'm not sure, Max. Just to close, really, Mark, what did you make of the sacking of, of, of Cooper and now Forrest have Nuno Espirito Santo, a proven Premier League manager? But football, it must be, it must, it must be difficult to see other managers lose their their job or, or is it a sense of you could see it coming for Steve it's a results driven business and that for Forrest to move on they 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 have to make that change yeah I think it's I mean firstly Steve's a good friend I, I know Steve and I, I phoned him and I, I missed his call and I'll, I'll speak to Steve and a wonderful job to get Forrest up there and the relationship with the fan base it shows you that you know I mean the fans I remember when QPR played Forrest when Sabi Lamushi was in charge and I remember the away support being incredible yeah, and and it was quite phenomenal. And, I, and QPR, Loftus Road, can be really good. And the atmosphere that night was good. It was a good game of football, and the atmosphere was tremendous because the QPR fans make a great noise. But I remember looking over and thinking, well, on a Wednesday or Tuesday night, freezing cold, they are filled top and bottom of that end. Wow! And I knew the size of the club, so you you understand that the, that that nature of the fan base, the the loyalty and the backing. But Steve did so well to form that relationship. But that with it makes it awkward. And Steve Steve knows as well as any manager, you said it, it's a results industry. We're in the entertainment industry, Max, so you've got to entertain. But at the same time, you're dominated by results. I was doing a, a radio recent Premier League game, um, Liverpool Palace or something, and someone like this came up this question about Steve. And I said, Forrest's only goal this year is survival in the Premier League. And again, you get, yeah, well, they must, they should be doing better than that. And I went, no, no, when you look at the clubs who, you know, it's like every year with Sean Dyche at Burnley, and I meant they got into European football that year, and they said, oh, we should be a top 10 team every year. And I thought, no, every year, Sean and his staff keep Burnley in that division, Premier League, is a magnificent job because not being rude to Forest, but you're not United, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, City. You're not these, look at Newcastle, look at the, you're not that yet. You can be, you can be, there's no doubt, you can be, but not yet. And as I say, I think, I think Steve will know the results were tough, but he was keeping Forrest in the division. And, and, it, and that comes down, same thing. What represents success for Nottingham Forest, Max? You know, and if the fan just says, just survive in the division, there's that mortified, you know what, we're not in the Forest. Every single team will say that. Every single team will say it. So I think it was a difficult decision for the ownership. Um, I'm sure Steve... You know, he knows he did a great job there. His CV will be strong. He'll get another good job very soon. I have no doubt about Steve's quality. Um, what I will say also in in Tom Cartledge, you've got a wonderful chairman there. You've got a very knowledgeable businessman. You've got a very astute businessman. You've got someone who cares passionately about the club. So I know I've come across Tom. And uh, again, you really have got a fantastic capture there. So the future looks bright in that respect. I'm sure it's very tough for Tom and the owner to to move Steve on. But I hope very much that A Steve will be fine. I know he will be. And the club under Nuno, they've had a couple of great results. You look at Menu and Newcastle, etc. And you hope very much that 2024 is a great year for Forest. Do you still follow Forest and, and almost hope that I suppose any of your former clubs do well? You always do. You always do. Uh, I'll be honest with you, Rangers is quite unique in how it gets into your blood because it's a level of passion, Max, that you just cannot understand until you get up there. You know, I yep. went to a, a big meeting last week, very got a decent high-powered meeting, and a lady there worked uh, many years at Rangers, was now working for this this organisation. And she said to me, Mark, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. She said, you've, you've not, that people have got no idea. She said, I tell them here, they have got no idea until you go up there. So it's a level of passion that gets into your blood. It really does. And it, you know, papers every day, 20 pages on Rangers and Celtic, radio shows every night, media every day, the commitment. So... That, that one club gets into your blood. 
But I always look Brent straight away. Brentford, how'd they get on? Forest, how'd they get on? QPR, how'd they get on? West Ham, of course, how'd they get on? I look at the squads, who's playing, who's doing well. I look at Matty Cash at Villa. Why isn't Joe Wall playing at Forest? What's happening to Joe? You just do. Mm. You know, you look, you look, you look at Brentford and Saeed Ben Rama's gone to West Ham, not playing. What's Saeed going to do? And all this type of thing, because you know the staff, you know the players, you know the fan base. I've got good, I've got good friends at every club, Max, and you, you want to see the teams do well. So now that that will never ever change. No, definitely, Mark. Thank you very much for your time spent with us today, and and hopefully see you in uh, seeing the game sometime soon. No, Max, nice talking to you. Thanks for the invitation. No, you're welcome. And as always, if you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to like, share and subscribe across YouTube, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And remember to drop us a review too on Spotify and Apple Podcasts if you do enjoy it. We will see you next week. Thanks for tuning in and have a great rest of your week, whatever you're doing.